chapter 15. Now, I want to begin in the first verse of, for some, a very familiar passage of Scripture. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish the Amalekite for what I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he camped from Egypt. Now, look at verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatling, the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you've already allowed our hearts to experience. Father, we thank you that if you never did a single thing more, just having Christ in our life is more than enough. And God, right now, we pray that you would simply minister to us in the area of our need as only you truly know. For we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm getting ready to do some traveling in my imaginary thoughts. And uh, most of you <laughs> that are returning to the work world, even though we're in September, may still be in the vacation mode. And if you are like me, I thoroughly enjoy getting on the bird and taking flight to get to where we are going my lovely wife and I, as quickly as possible. But one of the things that I genuinely dislike is having to go to these electronic kiosks where you have to be a genius <laughs> to print out your, your, your ticket and your travel tag for your luggage before you have, if you don't get checked in outside, and, and sometimes that happens for us. And then you got to get your, your baggage weighed, but your, your ticket that is printed for you should match your, the ticket that you're boarding the flight with. And very, very uh, frustrating and confusing and I have to tell you, I feel very intimidated while it seems like miles of people are standing waiting for you to uh, figure this trigonometry out. Now, I understand why you need to ticket your bags. Can you imagine if you decided to go to the airline today and they said, you no longer have to ticket your bags, just put them on the weight machine and hopefully they'll get to your location. And so now you've boarded the flight, you're at the place where you plan to vacation and you're waiting for your luggage. And of course you're gonna recognize your luggage because nobody else's luggage looks like this one. And so you grab the first bag that you think is yours and you check it out. You don't have to stop and have it compared because nobody has a ticket. And you go on your merry way and then you get home and you open your bag and you discover that instead of male clothing items, you got female 
clothing items. And you immediately realize that the bag is not yours. Now, because you're not strange, the first thing that you would do if you're normal is you're going to hightail it back to the airport in search of your own bag because your bag has your items in it. What's in your bag fits you. It belongs to you. You purchased them. And so it makes sense that you would go out of your way to secure your bag before having it weighed and put on that conveyor belt because you don't want to end up with someone else's luggage. Amen? Amen. Unfortunately, one of the reasons why too many people or not enough people are able to come clean and to really disclose those things that God, through the Holy Spirit, has revealed about us that are not like him is that we spend too much time unpacking other people's bags. We, we, we are experts on the lives of celebrities, basketball housewives and the Kardashians and, and, so, and, 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 and Jay-Z and his purchases and the things that he's involved. We know. But unfortunately, the things that we know about these other people have nothing to do with the bag that God gave us. In fact, the bag that God gave us, Paul refers to it in Romans chapter 7 where he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this, this body of death? Now, when the Bible talks about the body, body being a, a temple of death, it's, God is not saying that our physical body, your flesh, is evil. Unfortunately, though, uh, we spend so much time putting perfume on a corpse. What I mean by that is where we put the emphasis most is temporal. Uh, for the outward man is what? He, he is perishing. This physical body that we spend so much time is perishing. But what's inside of our bag is what is eternal. So when we talk about the bag that God has given us, the, the, he's speaking of this body of death, our sin nature, our Adamic nature, what we inherited from Adam when he disobeyed God in the garden. And all that we are in Adam is housed in this, this body of death. This physical flesh has a sin nature. It includes all of your experiences, that which is in the bag. The good ones and the bad ones. It includes your parents' DNA. It includes how you really think about yourself and others while you're saying God is good and all the time God is good. What's inside this bag follows you and me wherever you go. When you get married, you got your bag. When you take that new job, you got the same bag. If you got a bad attitude, you got that in your bag. And wherever you go, that attitude is going to follow you. If you mismanage finances, unless you take something out of your own bag, that bag is going to follow you. If you're unforgiving, your unforgiveness is going to follow you because wherever you go, your bag, your bag is going to follow you. It's going to follow you. And so what I want to begin with today, what I'd like to begin with today, 
is the importance of dealing with what's in your bag. The stuff you bring into the room, you brought into your marriage, you brought the church with you today. And I believe that the example of Israel's first king named Saul provides us with an excellent example, illustration of the danger of spending your life unpacking other people's bags. By focusing on what you perceive to be their strengths or weaknesses, while at the same time neglecting to remove those things from the, your bag that keep you from being like Jesus. Tell somebody, unpack your bag. Don't worry about mine. I got my own. But unpack your bag and watch some of that stuff. I didn't say it stink, but you, you can wash it. Some of it needs to be totally discarded. Israel prayed in 1 Samuel chapter 17, almost in a demanding way. When they went to the prophet Samuel, they said, tell God to give us a king like all the other nations. God never called the church to be like other nations. We are a peculiar people, a holy nation, a nation of priests. God has said in his word that we're in the world, but not to be of the world. And so one of the things that is true about this flesh, that even before we knew that there was a us, God determined for us an assignment. God gave you a life assignment. And that assignment is something that we are born with. There's certain things that are that we are in that are inalienable parts of us. And by that I mean each and one, each and every one of us was created in the image and likeness of God. That's in your bag. Even when you are a saint, but you, don't, you act like you ain't, the image and likeness of God is in that bag. Not only is the image and likeness of God in your bag, but Romans chapter 1, verse 21 says that we are all without excuse. All of creation is without excuse because God has made himself known through the invisible things that he has created. What that means is that you have a God consciousness. Before you ever got a Bible, you knew that there was something different between right and wrong. That's in your bag. You may be an atheist, but you still have a consciousness of God. You have a consciousness that there's something outside of you that's greater than you. God determines your life assignment. God placed something in your bag, as I've already mentioned. Before God created the first man, he created a place. And with the place, before he put Adam in the place, he had already determined a purpose for Adam. He created Adam to worship and to work for him. And so for everything that God creates, he has already predetermined a purpose. And if, you, if there's no purpose for you, there's no reason for you to be here. The scripture says that many are the plans that are in the hearts of men, but the purposes of God will be accomplished, will be established. And so for you and me, we need to understand that like Saul, God gave us a life assignment. You have a task to do. You have a responsibility to complete that task because in completing your task for your life, in the bag that God gave you, you will be fulfilling his purpose. 
for your life. When there's no longer a need for you, God will call you home. The only reason you're yet alive is because your purpose has not been fulfilled. Somebody say amen. amen. Whenever God gives you an assignment, it's never optional. It's a command. It's a command. Now listen to the commands, and it's really interesting. When Saul starts talking about what he did that God told him to do, instead of him referring to it as, in the plural, the commands of God, he said the command. He makes it singular. But as we're going to see as we read, the command was not singular, but there were multiple commands within the major command that God gives. Listen to verses 1 through 3. Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people. Whose people? Over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him in the way when he came from Egypt. And so God said, go and attack and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare them. So he says, he gets, I'm going to destroy Amalek. And he gives them specific instructions in detail. And all of those details were singular, were different commands. But the major thrust of the command was that God wanted Amalek and the Amalekites totally wiped from the face of the earth. Then Saul adds at the end, he said, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over my people, over my people, which we've already read. Now, the question that some of the Sauls who may be in this audience may ask, like I did, why does God have the right to tell us what to do? I mean... You go on to college, you have a big office in front of the building that the snipers are the, the first one you look for is the one in the front of the building with the big window. <laughs> well, so what gives God the right to, to tell us what to do? The first thing that we notice in the passage is that God chose Saul by his sovereign grace. God chose Saul by his sovereign grace. The word sovereign simply means when it refers to God, because none of us on a human level are truly sovereign. It means that God can do whatever he wants to, whenever and however he wants to, to whomever, because he's God. And so sovereignly, not because of any merit or anything that Saul earned, God selected him from the smallest tribe of, of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, to be Israel's first king. So why does God have the right? He selected you. He chose you. Listen to how Saul responds in chapter 9 when Samuel attempts to anoint him as the first king. He says, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribes of Benjamin, why then do you speak like, I don't deserve this. I'm not qualified. Anybody qualified here to be chosen by God? Anybody here skilled enough to lead the people of God? So when Saul was selected, he was the most shocked person on the planet. Ours is the least of the tribes. God also has chosen us sovereignly. The Bible says we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus, chosen beforehand to do his good works. God chose you by his grace and his mercy because he decided to out of his love that is unconditional, and he picked you for the assignment that he gave you. 
Not only did he pick you for the assignment, but he picked the assignment for you. And so the reason he has the right is because he, he, he chose you. Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you, and I chose you for a purpose that you would produce good works and that you produce fruits that are not only multiple, but the type of fruit that will remain. I chose you for a purpose. I chose you for a purpose. But if you still got an issue with that, I not only chose you out of my sovereign grace, but you're my property. You've been brought with a price. You've been purchased through the shed blood of Jesus. And so God has a right to tell us what to do because we belong to him. You are his workmanship. In Christ Jesus, created unto good works. You belong to him. We need to get that straight. I want you to understand when, you, when, when, when the doctor gives you that diagnosis and, and you say, but what about all the modern technology and the advances? And they say, there's nothing else we can do. You better understand that it is God who has made you. And it is him, your creator, who has the final determination about the outcome of your diagnosis. Whose report will you believe? Now, whenever God gives you an assignment, he equips you to get the job done. And so this bag that we carry in this body of death, this sinful, frail, fallen nature that we have in this body that is getting older every day, I want you to understand that whatever God has called you to do, he has already equipped you and empowered you to do it. The prophet Samuel said that God sent me to anoint you, to enable you. We hear that word, oh, that's Pentecostal, that's charismatic. No, no, to be anointed means to be equipped, to be enabled, to be gifted. And not only does he equip you through his anointing, but he empowers you through the spirit to accomplish what you have been assigned to do. Notice that the anointing precedes the appointment. He has sent me to anoint you. Now that you have the anointing, now you can fulfill the appointment of being king. When God anoints you for a service, he, will, he, not, he equips you and enables you through the, in, through the Holy Spirit, but he will give you that before he sends you out. And so whatever it is, I don't care how great the vision is, how high the mountain may appear, you've been anointed for your appointment. Man may give you a title. I'm going to be a reverend. I'm going to go in line. I'm going to get ordained. I'm going to get my, my, my TDD, my GGB. And you can do all of that. But if you don't have the anointing for what you're trying to appoint yourself, the Bible says many have, many have went, but only few have been sent. God has to call you. So you don't have to hate on me, and I don't have to hate on you, because God has a specific thing for you to do, and what he has given you to do, you have the enabling, you have the anointing, and what the prophet did in the, in the Old Testament, where he would take an urn of oil, and he would pour it over the head of the servant, which would indicate symbolically that the Holy Spirit was coming upon that person to empower and to enable them to do a work. We don't need somebody to pour something over our head and by the way, it wasn't Samuel that was giving the enabling and the power. He simply was a, a conduit that represented what God had already decided. But today, you and I, who had the Spirit of God indwelling us, he is the one who does the work of anointing and appointing. My problem with with, with, with too many Christians is, are you okay with the bag that God has given you? Are you accepting the anointing and the appointing that he's given you in your body of sin and death? He will equip you and enable you to do the job. Now, how should you respond when God gives you a job? Here's what the prophet Samuel said to Saul. He says, 
once you know what God has placed in your back here, he says, now, therefore, heed what? Heed the voice of the words of the Lord. When you know your assignment, your response should be to heed, to obey. Because when you choose not to step to what God has assigned you to do, you're not rejecting the pastor. You're not just standing in opposition to the elders, to the church. I ain't serving there, and I ain't going to do nothing for free. They better be paying me. You better do what the prophet said to Saul. You may be king, but there's a greater authority than the king. And that's the word of God. You ought to tremble at the thought that you know what God is telling you to do. And you haven't gotten to step in. You're still trying to decide if it's okay. We're going to see what happens when you try to decide. So we need to heed because the voice of the word. He says, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the word of the Lord is giving you this instruction. Whenever we open the Bible and read it, that is the voice. How does the voice of the Lord sound? It sounds like anybody who's reading to you the word. That's why we stand. That's why we stop in, our, in, our, in, in place when the Bible's being read because he says the voice of the words of the Lord, he, what he's saying is that God is speaking. And so every man be silent. Every woman be silent. Midst of all this craziness that's going on in the country, I don't hear too many people talking about the word of God. God's word has not lost one ounce of its authority. The word still works. He, because what God is saying is a command. This is not multiple choice. This is not, let's have a conference. Uh, let, let, let's see if we can get a census here. He said, this is what God wants you to do. And when God gives a command, he's not asking what you think about it, how you feel about it. You may be in a heated discussion with somebody, and yeah, I believe that there were that there were 15 apostles, and, 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 I, and, I, and, I, and I know that there were, and how do you know? I just feel that there were. And then you read the Bible, there are 12 apostles. But I, I see what the Bible says, but, that, but that, that was back. No, no, no. If you are a believer, then Jesus says, why do you say you love me, but you don't do, you don't keep my commandments? And so he says, he, because... What God is saying is a command. You need to heed because every individual word comes from the very breath of God, not just the parts that you like. The Bible says that all scripture is theonumatos, from the very breath of God. And because it comes from the mouth of God, the scripture says that all scripture, theonumatos, is profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness that you as a man and a woman of God may be adequately furnished unto all. Now, it's not a good work unless God says it is and it becomes what God says because what you're doing lines up with this. He, because every individual word, every individual word, Jesus said, not one jot or tittle of the word of God shall fail before all of earth and heaven will pass away. A jot was like a comma. A tittle was a period. He said, even before the punctuation fails, all of heaven and earth. God stands behind his word. So your response should be, when you know your assignment, you ought to heed. Now the question is, how does God speak? I've already said he speaks through the Bible, but he also speaks through people that he brings into your life. The Bible says, there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. That person may be your pastor. 
But God not only speaks to pastors. Thank, thank you, Jesus. Because we be in a world of hurt. But the, the same spirit that speaks to me to do my job speaks to believers as well. So you don't have to wait until you get to church on Sunday. Well, when I catch up to Pastor Benson, no, no. You got some sisters and brothers who are praying and walking with God. So God speaks to people. He speaks through circumstances. How many times are you going to hit your head before you know that wasn't a new wall? It's the same wall that you keep walking into. And God is trying to say through your circumstances that you are either personally experiencing that are, that are around you. You keep reading the same thing in the news, et cetera. And sometimes the only time we finally get it is when what we've been reading about meets us at our school, at our job. It's amazing how we're making a big deal about gun control and all the mass shootings. But every, every weekend in Chicago and Philadelphia and inner cities around this country, mass shootings occur. And so God speaks through circumstance. He speaks through dreams and visions. While you're sleeping, God will say something to you. Now, we don't want to mistake a bad meal for God speaking to you. <laughs> Telling you not to eat those chitlins anymore. <laughs> but whatever God says to you in a vision, a night vision, a, a, a day vision, it will always match up, line up. Be confirmed by this. God told me that I could outrun a speeding train. So I got down on the subway, and when I saw the train coming, I tried to I started to running and waiting for my anointing. And when I woke up in the hospital <laughs> with one less arm and 15 of my 10 toes gone, <laughs> Anything that God is calling you to do, it will match his word. God speaks through signs and wonders, through miracles, through healings, through people being delivered from demonic oppression and possession. God is still doing that. God speaks through nature. In, in Psalm 19, it says that all of creation declares. Every time you look up in the morning and see the sun 96,000 miles away or it's 196,000 miles away praise the Lord. If it was 96,000 miles we'd be all burned up. The glory of the Lord is being de 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 declared. Every time you see the wind blowing the trees from side to side, the trees are saying, the leaves are saying, God is good. All the time God is I believe that God is speaking through these hurricanes, these earthquakes, and these tornadoes. What we call in climate change, Hebrews says that what God will do through the weather is that he will shake the foundation of the earth. It's like a sleeping man. The house is on fire, and God is using nature to shake us out of our slumber in our sleep. We have a president that says that climate change is not real. And we have gluttonous, materialistic capitalists who could care less about raping the earth that the Lord says, I've given you dominion and power to care for. God speaks through nature, but he most certainly and clearly and, 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 and affirmatively speaks through the scriptures. Somebody say Amen. The scripture says that in Hebrews chapter 1, he says he speaks through in, in, very, in past times, God who at various times in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets and et cetera. But now we have a more clear word. You don't have to worry about, should I be worrying? No, go to the Bible. See what God says about that. Should I hit my wife again? No, go to the Bible. <laughs> he who loves his wife will not batter her. Well, the Lord said, turn the other cheek. And so when he hit me in the right cheek, I turned the other one. And then when I got up off the floor, no, he didn't say that you were supposed to allow yourself to be abused. 
That is not for righteousness' sake. That's a man who doesn't know who he is. God speaks diversely. God speaks specifically. He gave a specific command to Saul. What God has called me to do in terms of my specific gifting and skills, he didn't tell you to do. So you will not be judged and rewarded for what I do. You will give an account for what you have been told to do specifically. Somebody say amen. Amen. God speaks clearly. When it comes to commands, it's a yes or no. That's like you're telling the kid, don't walk in the street. And they look at you. Now, they may be too young to understand it. Their friends may live across the other side of the street. But you're not asking them to understand it. It's either yes or no. When you say no, you do not know, don't cross the street. And when there is a violation of what you clearly stated, there's a consequence. And so when God gives a command in the scripture, it's not, it's not, ambig- it's not, amb- amb- it's not unclear, ambiguous. It's clear. We may not want to hear it. We may not fully understand it. Your job is not to understand the command. It's to obey it. He didn't ask Saul, do you understand? Do you agree? No. God also, not only does he give, speak uh, diversely and specifically and clearly, he speaks liberally. The Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally. He's impartial about answering your prayers concerning the instruction for your assignment. He will answer. He won't just answer some Christians. He'll answer if you pray. The Bible says, if you, you, we have not because what? Yeah. All right. And so God is speaking right now. God speaks when you walk away from the church, if you would simply listen. If we would stop putting God on pause. And so God gives everybody an assignment for the bag that we have been assigned as well. Now, when I was growing up, we used to have to watch the prices, right? <laughs> Come on down. I can still see Bob Parker or Bob Barker. Yeah, and uh, the interesting thing about the game, you couldn't just show up and be a part of the game. You had to be chosen to participate in the game. And often the grand prize was a destination trip of a lifetime. Here's what's interesting about the destination trip of a lifetime. The participant, in terms of who would get the grand prize, they didn't get to choose the destination. The programmers chose the destination. And so if you got selected and you were the la- one of the last to compete for the grand prize, the destination of a lifetime, in order for you to even be considered, you had to follow the rules. And even if you followed the rules, not everyone won the prize, but everyone got a prize. You somebody got consolation prizes. But then there was one person at the end who would get the destination of a lifetime. I want you to understand that we had in this baggage, before we were even formed in our mother's womb, God had already determined a destination of a lifetime. He had determined a purpose. He determined a, 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 a vision for your life. And, and guess what? It was him who chose it. And all you need to do is follow the rules. And if you follow the rules, you will get the grand prize. Every man's works will be tried, tested according to what sort. Your works will be tested. You will be rewarded if you follow, if you take heed to the word of God. Now, God does not give credit for partial obedience. Let me just put it like this. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. Now, when you get a chance, in verses 4 through 7, I want you to look at what Saul did right. When God said, destroy Amalek and the Amalekites, because of what they did, they, they, they were an obstacle. They tried to hinder my people from getting to the promise. And so what we see is that, that Saul, he assembled the men, 
And then he allowed the Kenites to escape because they weren't the enemy. Get out of the way. If you get out of our way, we don't have to deal with you. And so the Kenites got away. And then he attacked the Amalekites. And the Bible said he utterly destroyed most of them. But he spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the fatling. He decided, I know God said it's cursed, and I know gambling ain't right, but if I just hit it this time, if I could just go down to Delaware Park and, and, and just get the right numbers, if I could just hit the jackpot, get super lotto or whatever, if I could, I'll give the church a, a big tithe. I know God says that, that he doesn't want ill-gotten gain. That's how they got the lottery and all these other things slid in there. Originally, it was supposed to be for uh, 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 the senior citizens. And senior citizens getting crumbs. <laughs> Atlantic City, the get, the, you're talking about, you're going to go to the ghetto, you get to the, you get to the, 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 the Atlantic City, the boardwalk area, that's beautiful and pristine, but who, if you live down there. So he saw did some things right. He was unpacking his bags the way he should. Everything God told him to remove, he was getting rid of it. But he did some things wrong. He started celebrating based on doing just enough. God ought to be impressed that I'm here at church. I mean, I don't do what I used to do. I used to drink four days a week. Now I only drink three and a half. I used to lie all the time. Now, I only lie most of the time. He started just to celebrate partial obedience. The Bible says he went to Carmel, and indeed, he set up a monument for himself. And he was gone around and bypassed, and he'd gone from there to Gilgal. And so he started celebrating, patting himself on the back, because he learned two Bible verses. Came to church three weeks in a row. You done lived like the devil and showed everybody on Facebook and Instagram. You ain't never said nothing about the church or the word or the choir or how you growing and how somebody else is supposed to be growing. But you got a bong in your mouth showing somebody your, your weapons. in places that God has said are an abomination. But you're in church Sunday, and God ought to be impressed. And so we celebrate because we have measured spirituality by the people who we are around, the people who know us the least. We have learned to have a form of godliness but we deny the power thereof because we can resist everything but temptation. I want you to understand, when you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, you can say no to temptation. You can say no because if any man be in Christ, you're talking about you're a lamb and you're laying down with the pigs. Eat more slop than they are. Well, that's for church. You know, we read the Bible at the church. We're great strong at the church. You know, I don't want to get hard on our brothers, but these sisters are looking up to us to lead. Churches are filled with women. And, 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 and I believe when men lead, women follow. I, amen. Come on, brothers. Somebody say Amen. We think we're right just because we do enough to feel. We want to feel spiritual. I got a new Bible. <laughs> you didn't even buy it. It's on your app. I did a new devotion. I prayed three times facing the east. You ain't no Muslim. What you talking about facing the east? <laughs> it's not just enough to feel spiritual. Saul felt pretty spiritual about 
half obeying God, but half obedience, partial obedience. How do we confuse divine assignment with human agenda? How do we get confused when we start laying hands on stuff and calling it blessed, and God said, this is cursed. This is, you, you brought a car, but you didn't check under the hood. <laughs> There's no engine under this. How do we get confused? Let me suggest, let me, let me, selective obedience. We obey part, the parts of the Bible that we like. We don't want to read about flee youthful lust. We don't want to read about uh, make no provision for the fulfilling of lust of flesh. And here you go talking about wives submit to their own husbands. That was, this is the Me Too movement. No, this is the, the believe it or not movement from the word of God. We selectively obey parts of the Bible that we, that we agree with. I agree with the whole Bible. It's all God's word. But why don't you do the part that makes you die to you? Nah, I ain't getting up early to read my Bible. I ain't going to be, it don't take all that. I mean, my program's on tonight. I ain't going to no Bible study. I'll catch it on, on YouTube one of these days. And now what has happened over time, you become so stale and stagnant in your spiritual life. You wonder why you don't have a fire in your belly. And I was praying to thank you, brothers, for again letting me be away and spending time with my wife and the Lord. I said, Lord, where, where, I want to have a fire. I don't want to be just going through the motions. And, and, and it was something, I was looking for something. Oh, no, partner. No, no. God said, now you need to spend more time with me and my word. And all of a sudden, the fire at Jeremiah started. It's like fire. Shut up in my bones. I want you to understand, if you aren't in this word and this word is not in you, you will be dull. It will not excite you. You will never raise your hand genuinely. We confuse human agenda for divine assignment because we seek human approval more than God's approval. Oh, is that the pastor on the other line? Okay, stop talking about the liquor. Stop talking about the weed. Wait a minute. Why was it okay to talk about it before the pastor got online? Don't you understand that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells wherever you are? That's where God is. Saul, let those, those folk build a monument. We want people to be impressed with us. Look at where we live. Look at what we drive. God is clearly blessing us. No, he's not. You're just working extra hours and mad about it, but you love money more than you love God. And so we seek human approval. We want people to praise us. We want them to recognize us. That's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They told, Lord, we gave it all. We, 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 gave, a, we, we gave to the building program and everything that we got from the proceeds of a selling of our property. And they were lying. That was the last lie they ever told. Can you imagine if we stood before the Lord, know how we were living last night, no intentions of changing. And you got up to raise your hand, and God struck you dead right on the spot. We would say, carnary arrest. We would say, man, he must be vaping. No, 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 no. He must have been playing with God. And God said, that's it. God will take you out of here. Come on now. We're going to get out of here. Spiritual, spiritual ignorance and arrogance. He thought that God would be impressed with getting most of what he asked for. Can you imagine? I'm a cheese, a cheese, chicken cheesesteak guy now. I don't eat the cheesesteak. I eat the beef. But you go to, you go to your favorite cheesesteak place, and you pay $15 for a super sub with all the trappings. And the guy begins to wrap your sandwich. And before he gives it to you, he takes a big bite. And then he wraps it up and says, all right, pay me. Now, how many of you would take, you wouldn't take that sandwich? How dare you? I paid for this. That's my sandwich. You're going to put your germ. Isn't that what we do to God? 
The cheese steak is his. You, you are his. You've been brought with a price. And then we say, God, here you take a bite out of my life. You can have a couple hours on Sunday. You can have a couple minutes when I pray in the morning. But I get to rest. I get to live however I want to live, Monday through Saturday. And then I'll get to look real spiritual on Sunday. Take a bite, God. Take a bite. Take a bite. Take a bite. Ah, don't get greedy, God. Don't act like you're hungry, God. Don't act like you deserve the whole thing now. Don't act like you gave me the money to buy it. Don't act like you gave me the appetite to eat it. Don't act like it's yours, God, even though it is. I want you to understand that God knows what you have hidden in your bag. You can hide it from us, that withered arm. Your poor self-esteem. Your insecurity, your anger, your unforgiveness, your pride. You can hide that withered arm from us. But the Bible says, but the Lord spoke to Samuel. And he said in verse 10, I regret that I have selected Saul to be king. God saw what Saul had concealed. God knows what you're hiding. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, he says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You need to write that down. Hebrews 4, verse 13. There's nothing hidden from him. And here's the thing as we bring this thing to a close. God gives you a chance to unpack this stuff that you shouldn't have done. To confess. If you confess, he says... He, Saul says, he, he sees Samuel coming. I have obeyed all the commands of the Lord. In verse 9, all of them, I did them all. And then the prophet said, well, what is that bleeding of a sheep? Bah, bah, bah. What is that I, that I hear? Now, Saul at that minute had a chance to say, let me unpack this. Let me get real with God. God, God didn't show, God didn't expose my stuff. This is going to be total disclosure. It's me, like David said, when he was caught in adultery, Nathan said, thou art the man. And David said, I'm guilty. No, Saul said, like Adam, that woman you <laughs> gave me, God. Saul said, it was the men who decided. You look at verses 20. Through 24. It was the men who decided to keep the best. And, and, and for good reason, because uh, they're going to offer it to you, God, what you have called cursed. I want you to understand, I don't care how much perfume you put on a corpse, it's still dead. I don't care how many times you try to fry rotten food, it's rotten. It ain't going to be right. When God curses something, he said, don't you understand that the sin of rebellion, when God gives you an assignment and you put your finger in the face of God, he says, that's like committing the act of witchcraft. I said, well, how's that so? It's like going to a palm reader or someone who gets direction from Satan and seeking the instructions for your life. And so in that sense, when, when, I, when I totally disobey the command of God, it, I might as well go to a witch and, and seek their direction because that God considers that an act of idolatry, an act of false worship. And idolatry was punishable by death. And he says, because you have done this thing, here's what made it so bad. He had a chance to say, Lord, I'm sorry, I did this. He never truly repented. He said, uh, uh, let me worship with you so the people will th-. He wanted the people to think that things are right. Would you pray to your God for me? Over and over again, he never repents. I'm scared of people who God keeps giving grace and mercy to, and they never repent. They never return. I was talking to my son. I said, look, 
I'm glad God's mercies are new every day because I use up all mine. Because if, if, if they weren't in abundance, you wouldn't have any because what you thought you had, I already used those. And guess what? You get no IOUs. None of them carry over to the next day. Greatness is faithfulness. We need mercy every single day. But when you get mercy, one of the evidences of repentance is that you will have the humility to accept the consequences. That's true repentance. I'm guilty. God gave me this assignment to lead my family, to lead my boys, to lead my girls. But I didn't do the job. I'm sorry. And that's what some of us need to be saying that to our children. And God can restore that. But when you act like it's everybody else, it's their fault, and they need to get it together, and it really wasn't me. I was there, but I wasn't there. You see, it was my right arm. It was my left foot, but it wasn't me. Here, let me give you some help. Let me finish off with this. God provides direction for how you can unpack your stuff. First of all, you need to admit personal sin. Admit what's, what is not pleasing to God in your life on a daily basis. You got to keep, you don't get to unpack one time and it's all, no, 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 no. Every single day you need to be unpacking stuff. Accept correction. When you're wrong and somebody calls you on it, what are these bleeding sheep? You've done it again. You've broken a heart. You've kept, you've not kept your word. Acknowledge, I've done it, I'm guilty. Allow time for healing and spiritual growth. Sometimes we do things to people and we hurt them and we expect them to bounce right off. Oh, thank you, Jesus, I'm fine. Oh, they're wounded too. And if you've fallen, you need to be restored. As you grow, and this is the final thing. Ask God to reveal to you. I know you all. I know you all that, but ask God to reveal to you what you need to unpack. Stand with. There's some stuff that we are blinded to in our life. I've been going through something at my job. Oh man. Oh man. Fifteen years working at the same place, and my finally. Lord said, really came under conviction because I'm stressing about this. I didn't know I was until it felt like somebody was stabbing me in the stomach. It was stress. I said, you know, you preach about this every Sunday, bro. You ain't practicing this. And so as soon as I felt like I was on the other side of it, there was another banana peel. <laughs> How quickly... Some of us, unfortunately, like the man who was a carpenter, and he had a truck with all of his tools, and he decided, you know what, I'm going to get a new truck, because this thing is a gas guzzler. Every other day, I'm filling this thing up. It's breaking me. Every money I'm making, I'm putting in this car. So he goes and he gets a brand new car. And he's so excited, he got a brand new car, and his wife and everybody, and then He's noticing that he's having to pay this even more gas for a smaller car. Every other day he's saying, wait a minute, they sold me a lemon. They done sold me some, a piece of junk. So he goes back to the dealership and he's all upset and he said, look, you got to take this car back. I can't believe that you would sell me something if you said this amount of miles uh, per gallon and here I'm getting, he said, well, okay, sir. You, you're within the, the, the lot of time, we'll take it back. And so the man started emptying his car out. All of the stuff that he had in his old car, he had put it in his new car. And that's why he, the, the gas mileage never changed. He kept carrying the same luggage. Even though he had a new car, he still had the same stuff packed in the car. And so if you're still carrying the same luggage, it don't matter if you get married again. It don't matter if you change your address. Go in and get you a new job. Go get that degree. Lose a couple pounds while you're at it. But if you're carrying the same baggage, 
You ain't going to succeed. You aren't going to be blessed. You aren't going to experience the favor and the grace of God. You've got to unpack this thing. You've got to forgive people. You've got to love people unconditionally. You've got to be like Jesus. You need to unpack your bag. And God will begin to elevate you in the spirit realm. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And we thank you for today. In Christ's name.